Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. We have an interesting show for you today because it's a show of extremes. So a little bit later on, we're going to talk with Mia Vajakovska. Now, she's probably best known for playing Alice Kingsley. Who's that? You might ask, well, that's Alice in Wonderland. That's Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is in theaters right now. These are big budget fantasies that she is the very sort of heart and soul of. Now, I dug around a little bit and I found an interview that I did with her about six years ago, just before Alice in Wonderland made her a star. And she talks about playing Alice. She talks about the expectations that come along with that. She talks about working with Tim Burton, loads of other stuff. So. In a little bit, we'll get to Mia Vajakovska. First up, though, and here's where the extremes come in. I want to talk about a movie called How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. That's probably the most provocative title of the year. Certainly probably not going to draw in the Alice in Wonderland crowd. Uh, but I had two of the stars of the movie stopped by the House of Krauss, Ennis Esmer, you know him from loads of stuff, uh, Man Seeking Woman, The Listener, right now you can see him on uh, a show called You, Me, Her, Christian Brune is Donnie Hendricks on Orphan Black, and uh, I had a really good time talking to these guys about this provocatively titled movie, probably best just to let them go, just to let them tell you what it's all about. Here's Ennis and Christian. Let's talk about the the, the concept. Okay, finally. Okay, because the title kind of <laughs> oh, tells us this whole what time. it's all about. <laughs> uh, because it is truth in advertising. You are trying to figure out how to plan an orgy in a small town. Yeah, it's not it's not called how to execute a successful orgy in a small town. <laughs> it's just about the planning stages. Yeah, uh, it's about uh, the daughter of a beloved Lucy Maud Montgomery type uh, author in a small town who. Um, has she's had she's to the bear black the, sheep of the whole. She's town. the black yeah. sheep. Yeah, she's definitely had to bear the the pressure of her of her of her mother's work and the legacy of sort of puritanical, chaste uh, attitudes towards sex and life in general in a small town. And she ends up becoming this successful sex writer after moving to the big big city after kind of getting. Um, exiled from the small yeah. town as a teenager after an embarrassing, humiliating party incident, and comes back on the occasion of her mother's funeral, and somehow they decide to plan an orgy. As you know, it's a very eventful funeral. It's like a challenge from from some of the uh, townsfolk. Yeah, it's it's like a one-upsmanship sort of happens because they all kind of resent her selling out the town in one of her first articles she ever wrote. Yeah, and then and at this point though, it starts off as kind of a like a. You know, yeah, we're not as square as you think we are. Exactly. Kind of yeah. And then it grows from there. Yeah, and, and we won't just... really say where it goes, but people learn about themselves. They learn about their relationships. Indeed. They definitely as do. As they are planning an do's orgy. Do's and don'ts. In this, mm -hmm. Do's yeah. and don'ts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you first uh, were handed this, this, is a question for both of you. When you were first handed this script, did how far past the title, How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, did you get initially? I, you know, as soon as I heard the title, I was like, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. I just knew right away I didn't need to read the script um, because I knew the person who wrote it, Jeremy Lalonde, who also directed it. I knew his work, and uh, I really think he's absolutely brilliant and hilarious, so I knew it was going to be a great script. I, of course, read it first, yeah. but I, I, I knew I wanted to be in the orgy. And Ennis? Um, you know, we were. I was in a movie with Jeremy called Sex After Kids that he mm -hmm. wrote and directed, and uh, this was something that he, as he does with all of his projects, he'll workshop a lot. He's very um, uh, 
diplomatic about material changing, things like that, adding jokes, taking things out here and there. So he's he'll listen to actors. He's very collaborative. So we were part of a table read, you know, right when this first started and the changes it's gone through. So I feel like I've been a part of it for a couple of years now. So I've been on board since since then. Is Jeremy Lalonde sex, sex obsessed? That's the question, because his movies all seem to border around that. He's probably undersexed. <laughs> Well, that's okay. Let's not, let's not start pulling thrilled. his family history into this. He that's terrible. How, how dare you? How would you know? Well, yeah. that's sort of the point of the movie. It's people's yeah. presumptions about other people's sexuality, what makes somebody... Because it's not just about being sexually liberal. It's about sort of being honest with yourself and doing things because they feel good and they feel right to you as opposed to doing things because of someone else's opinion of you. And, Christian, tell me a little bit about Seth Parsons, the character that you play. Because you're kind of... A little bit on the outside, mm -hmm. looking in at all of this. Seth, Seth has always been, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, he's always been the town loser, right. essentially. Um, he's I'd say of, town hunk. He, he, he is an outsider. He is, even in flashbacks, you sort of see him on the peripheries. He's never invited to the parties, that sort of thing. Um, but he knows his place, and he knows what he is, and he doesn't really pull any punches about that, and he knows his lot in life. Um, and then he gets an opportunity throughout the film to grow his prospects for friendship, let's say. And and this were there prospects for friendship <laughs> yeah. is such a such a delicate way to put that. It's such a like a Victorian. It sounds almost <laughs> right. Victorian. Yes. These are my prospects my for friendship. Prospects. Right. Yes. 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 Uh Ennis, were there were there any scenes that you were uh, a little bit I've seen the film. Were yeah. there any films uh, scenes that you were a little uncomfortable with doing or uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Lauren Lee Smith who I worked with on a show called The Listener for mm -hmm. a few years uh, plays my wife and this was sort of like when when, the, when we were trying to find when Jeremy was trying to find people to be in the movie it was great to, you know, have friends of friends be able to pass on scripts and Lauren read the script and she plays kind of a for lack of a better word a villain uh in the movie um or at least the catalyst for this orgy right. one-upsmanship that starts and she and i had to play husband and wife but it's a very it's not a healthy marriage and um you know we're trying to get pregnant and we had to uh, simulate copulation and it was one of the it was like the second day of shooting we really jumped right into the deep end of a very cold pool, and uh, so that was a real bonding experience for the two of us. I'd but say that was tough, because she's like a sister to me, you know what I mean? And then, considering what we do in the movie, it's a good thing she's not my sister. A little what, bit. That's literally a good thing. We're talking about it, legalities? I mean, come yeah, on. It is yeah. a good yeah. thing. Yes, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about uh, how to plan an orgy in a small town a little bit more. It's in theaters right also, now. Also, it's, it's not a documentary. It's, it's not obviously. a document. It's, it's, it is, yeah. it is a real-life... It did allow for some great uh, research opportunities, though. Yes, yes. Like, I claim stuff on my taxes because of this movie that I never would have gotten away with uh, in my personal life. How much KY gel can you write off? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I write that off every year. I or just admission it. to certain kinds of events that right. you might have, you might have, your accountant might have uh, yeah. been a little dubious in past years. Yeah. There is an employee who is suing his boss because his job is too boring. This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and so he uh, was paid 3,500 uh, euros per month. He said for doing nothing. His official job title was general service director, but he claims that his superiors called him the boy and asked him to do his personal chores picking up uh, kids from sports lessons, that kind of thing. And now he's suing because he says, listen, I wasn't challenged. I wasted a lot of time there. And, I mean, I think we can all probably agree that this is pretty ridiculous. What I'm curious about, though, is if we've ever had... Well, what's kind of the worst job that any of you have ever had? Have you had a job that was, like, super boring or one that was just so far... Uh, like, just so awful that you just couldn't wait to punch out? Children's theater? <laughs> Children's theater. <laughs> Wow, they say a lot about and, families and, and, and children. And why so, Christian? 
Um, well, I mean... You know you're never going to get hired for any more children's yeah. theater. Oh, no more children's theater really? for you. Well, I, I had to do a, five shows a day of this kid's show right out of theater school. Um, it was Cinderella's Magic Castle. Oh. It was wonderful. It sounds fun. <laughs> and I played uh, the French, the wacky French footman. Mm. But every once in a while, every show, I'd have to come out for a, a brief stint as Fairy Bear. Ah. Uh, who was a bear in a giant bear costume with a pink tutu. And we know what a fairy bear is. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know this <laughs> is radio. We don't have a picture to flash back to. How many weeks did that run? This ran for all through a, uh, a holiday season, so it was like four to six weeks through sort of. Man, so you did like that's, that's a, nice, a lot of shows. A lot yeah. of shows. It's a nice yeah. run. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it's pretty good. You should be. We Sorry, should be so lucky. Yeah. yeah, and my my uh, my ex military uncle came to watch yeah. the show because he was visiting for Christmas, <laughs> and I was going to go into the army and everything, and then I ended up as an actor. And this was like one of my first gigs out of theater school, and he. He was coming to see what I was up to, and uh, it was just one of the most embarrassing moments in my life playing fairy bear in front of my uncle. Well, those guys are a lot of fun to talk to. That's Ennis Esmer, Christian Brune. They are stars of a film called How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. Say it fast three times, and you will never forget it. A provocative title should do that. Next up, Mia Vajakovska. Mia Vajakovska became a star playing Alice Kingsley in Alice in Wonderland. And I dug around the vault, the House of Krauss vault, went down to the basement, put in the secret code, the vault magically opened, I cleared the dust away, and there was this interview from 2010. This is before she was famous, this is before anyone really much had seen the movie, and we talked about a lot of interesting stuff. I kind of liked her analogy that making this movie against green screens and, and you know, with the odd ways that you make these big budget fantasy films, uh, it's kind of like actually going down the rabbit hole. It's kind of like being in a wonderland. Anyway, you'll hear it all from her and probably uh, it a little bit more eloquently uh, than I'm feeling today from her in just a sec. So uh, the new movie, Alice Through the Looking Glass, is in theaters right now. She's back for the second time. Maybe not the last time. Who knows? It depends probably on how much money Through the Looking Glass made. The last one made about a billion dollars, a little over a billion dollars. So hopes are high for this one. But let's dial it back. Let's get in the Wayback Machine and see what Mia Vajikovska had to say about playing Alice Kingsley in 2010. This is one of those iconic kind of characters that you've heard about ever since you were a kid. Tell me a little bit about taking on the role of Alice and if there was any trepidation on your part. Yeah, I mean, there's always a little bit of trepidation. I mean, especially when you're you're dealing with a character that is so iconic and so beloved by so many people and so many generations. Um, but there's also a certain amount of... Um, you know, realism to it in that you know that you can't please everyone and not everyone's going to to be pleased. So it's more just making the character your own and feeling comfortable in the decisions that you make. And and that's really just what me and Tim decided very early on, that it was important um, for us to really just to make the character ours. How did you do that? What sort of Alice can we expect to see in this film that maybe we haven't seen in the other adaptations or read about in the book? Well, in in our story, Alice is 19, and she's returning to Wonderland for the first time since she was seven, and she doesn't have any recollection of of that. But the way in which I identified with Alice was that she's, um, you know, a young woman. She's 19. She's at that age that I'm at, um, where a lot of young women are also experiencing these 
um, pressures or um, expectations of society or family that is sort of uncomfortable in a way. And um, what I think is so great about Alison and this story is it's her coming back to herself and finding herself again and also um, sort of being reassured that you have to do what's fulfilling for yourself and uh, you kind of have to be in control of that in your life and, and um, that's an important thing for young women to be reminded of. Do you think that, you know, despite the sort of fantasy elements mm. of the movie and the yeah. rabbit, I'm just looking at the posters here, Mad Hatters and rabbits with watches and the whole thing, uh, that there is a, a universal kind of feel to it and maybe that's what's yeah. made the story so endure over yeah, yeah, so long? Yeah. I kind of don't believe in normal, you know, like nobody's normal. I mean, everybody's crazy in their own way. And so I think that you know, although these are extreme characters and they're, you know, crazy, kind of mad characters, I think that that just makes them more identifiable and that people just uh, want to see these characters, understand these characters, love these characters, feel comfortable with these characters because they're, they're like everybody in this world who is, you know, kind of crazy. There's no normal, really. I mean, how do you define that? So... Well, they often say there's more people on the outside than there are on the exactly. inside. Exactly, which is why I think Tim is so perfect for this and why I think so many people uh, understand this. You know, Everybody feels like an outsider in their own world, more or less, or, or has at some time in their life. And, um, and so it's a very identifiable story. Absolutely. Mm. This is a, just physically shooting this must be much different than some of the films you've made recently. I think of Defiance. I think of the television show In Treatment. Oh, yeah. You know, you've been working, uh, doing much different kinds of things. I would assume a lot of this was shot against a green screen. I would assume that maybe you're not in the same scene sometimes when you're very small. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. So tell me just a little bit about adjusting mm-hmm. from doing very realistic sort of dramas mm-hmm. like In Treatment yeah, yeah. to something like this. Yeah, well... You know, 90% of this film is green screen. And that's a really bizarre way to work. I mean, and I come from that background of very small independent films, sort of experimental work like in treatment, which was fantastic for me. And um, and so coming to something like, like this is um, bizarre and, and crazy and weird. And, and I mean, the process in which it was made is very much emulates what Wonderland is like because so much of it doesn't make sense and so much of it is weird and comical and, and you're kind of going, what, the, what am I doing here? And, and Which is exactly what I think it's like for Alice in Wonderland. Um, so it was very appropriate, but at the same time it's hard and you have to bring a whole lot more energy and especially when you're acting with animated characters, I have no idea sort of what they're energy will be or how big they'll be or how small they'll be once they're animated so it's really about trusting the director and trusting Tim and I really felt like I could do that and and I uh, felt like he could tell me to reel it in or to to bring more out and um and just being confident with that and comfortable and not getting overwhelmed by it. Well, when you're working with animated characters like this, often you're working with someone like holding a broomstick with a that's face on it or something. Right? Well, that's a lot what it was like. There was a lot of acting to either a cardboard cutout that's sort of standing at you like <laughs> this or, or, or there's a, a tennis ball on the edge of a stick that they're kind of waving around or, or sticky tape or <laughs> the things that we acted to. If I could have taken a picture of my perspective each time, it would have made a really funny... Um, so it's really bizarre, but, uh, yeah. But you're working with Tim Burton. Exactly. And so tell me a little bit about uh, Tim. I've met him a couple of times and such a fascinating guy because Mm -hmm. he's completely accessible Mm -hmm. when you meet him personally, Mm -hmm. but he is, 
you know that there's more going on there than maybe than meets the eye. So tell me a little bit about working with him. Yeah, you definitely get a sense of that. Like, um, he's a lovely guy, really wonderful guy. And when you are working with him, he's completely there and he will help you in any way that he can. Or um, So he's extremely accessible to you as an actor. And... Um, and his direction is very clear and simple, easy to understand. I feel a, a huge amount of trust from him, um, you know, and as I think all his actors would from when they're cast, you, you feel very trusted, which is a really important thing. Um, and But then at the same time, you can see just the wheels are constantly turning in his head. He constantly has ideas. Things are always going on. And... and um, and that what I think is so amazing about him is that he's actually created this whole visual language. The way that he articulates his you know, feelings and, and ideas is through this visual la language and style that he's developed, uh, which so many people identify with, which is a real, uh, real talent. And it's, it's, he's like an artist in film. Well, he's one of those few directors that if you see 30 seconds of a clip in a movie theater and you've walked in after the titles have played, you can go, that's Tim Burton. Yeah, of course. Because I recognize the style or I recognize the kind of things that he would do. Yeah, he is very recognizable. Mm -hmm. And you were working with Johnny Depp as well. Mm -hmm. Now, the scenes, because you vary in size. So some of these scenes, you're, you're not walking, you're not actually working opposite him. Is that true? Yeah, or? Yeah. Well, for a lot of the film, Alice is three inches or she's eight feet. Yeah. So, or she's... On, on the Mad Hatter's hat or on his shoulder or in his pocket. So so the filming was, in scenes like that, they were usually shot separately. Um, I would be, you know, shoot my stuff and then Johnny would shoot his. But it was just so great when we could actually do a scene when we were both the same size. or, And they did develop, you know, a couple of techniques so that when we were different sizes, we could do the, the scenes together. Now... This is a, a big movie coming out. It's it's will likely be the biggest success of any movie that you've been in. I yeah. think it's fair to say. Yeah. Are you prepared for what's probably going to happen after this movie opens to your career and sort of personally? It's a different mm. world. It's yeah. like Alice going down the wonder yeah. down down the rabbit hole of it. Yeah. Well, I don't really anticipate anything. I don't really. I'm not expecting anything, and I'm trying to. I just take things as they come, one day at a time. Um, and and that doesn't overwhelm me if I if I do it like that, which is good. And um, I think probably to a certain extent I'm in denial as to about I don't really know what will happen, so we'll see. But yes, I feel I feel prepared. Or it must be exciting. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's been a long process, so it's great that it's coming out. Yeah, how long a process? I mean, you, special effects films like this take a while. Yeah, it's it's almost been two years. I mean, I got the role when I was 18, and I'm now 20. Um, and the film was shot in 2008, at the end of 2008. So it's, um, so it's, been, a while, yeah. it's been a long time. <laughs> well, that's it. That's all for the House of Krauss. That's from six years ago. Mia Vajrakowska talking about playing Alice in Alice in Wonderland. She's in theaters right now in Alice Through the Looking Glass. Also, check out How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. My thanks to Mia. My thanks to Ennis. My thanks to Christian. Most of all, though, my thanks to you. Thanks for coming by every week. We put a new show up every single Monday. Long weekends, doesn't matter. We're still here at the House of Crows because we never leave. So swing by, check us out, tell your friends about it because you never know who's going to stop by for a visit. 